Welcome down to my nine-foot homemade oak bar. Pour yourself a cold one. You are listening to Bucks in the Basement. My name's Chris, and Craig here is the biggest Pirates fan you'll ever meet. Let's talk Pirates baseball now. Welcome to Bucks in the Basement. Now I see the changes in this town. They change, they say one thing, but then the next day. couple of days that everybody was going to make a flurry of moves on Sunday and Monday because the lockout is imminent and the Pirates made moves and it was surprising to you you're crushed I know you are one thing that happened I predicted already on this show and then the other thing I don't know I felt like the writing was on the wall my friend but I think you love Jacob Stalling so much uh you didn't see it yeah I I didn't really want to believe it even as the rumors were ramping up Sunday night and especially this morning, uh, there was talks of when it was the Yankees, I totally wasn't buying it. Like I just, I wasn't buying that whatsoever. The Marlins were looking to see if Sanchez was going to be non-tendered. They were probably going to pick him up. Then it comes out that they are also interested in a trade for Jacob Stallings. I've looked at their, you know, their farm system before. The Marlins have a a pretty decent farm system uh, for themselves. Uh, the return, initially, I'm a little bit underwhelmed, but when it comes to a catcher, and I know he had, you know, the three years of control, uh, not becoming a free agent until, I guess it would be 2025, uh, not a high price tag was was estimated to get 2.6 in arbitration. Even at that, a defensive first catcher, little bit of pop in the bat. I think his uh, WRC plus for his career sits right around like 92, uh, so below average. What else? I mean, you got three prospects for him. I I couldn't have predicted that. You got you got two. You got two from the Marlins. You know, top 30. Plus, you got a a major league ready pitcher uh, who pitched fairly decently in his rookie season, surprisingly, uh, in the beginning in the rotation, and then moved to the bullpen in in Zach Thompson. Zach Thompson, I think, is going to be like just a. I mean, it's first of all, that's great for your team. I, I want to tell you something right now: the best two pitchers on your team, in my mind, going into the start of the season, are Quintana and Thompson. So, Thank you, Chicago White Sox. Yeah, you've actually you've actually added like, and Thompson is might be the best one right now in the entire crop that you have that's up at the major league level. And this guy last year, I know he only had a like a one win above replacement to uh, baseball reference B WAR. Okay, but let's look at the peripherals and understand that it was his rookie season. You tell me that you find a pitcher that even though he's twenty seven. Gets a 3.24 ERA, has 14 starts, 26 games that he pitched. They had him on an innings count. They started moving him in and out of the bullpen. There was a reason for that. But his whip was at a 1.213 for the season. And to me, that's a pitcher. That's a major league baseball pitcher. 
The other thing that I look at is his fielding independent pitching. 3.69, which means that he was not lucky or unlucky. That 3.24 earned run average was real. The fact that the guy gives up less than a home run per nine innings is 0.7. His walks per nine are down at 3.4 in his rookie year. His strikeouts were about eight strikeouts per nine innings. This is a nice pitcher that you picked up. The only concern that I have, and I think any Pirates fan should have, is what does this mean for the timeline of the rebuild? Because when I look at the Pirates and I look at the move where Moran, they move on from Colin Moran. Let's just just go through everything that they did. They make this trade and they pick up Thompson and two prospects and they move on from Stallings. They DFA Colin Moran and then their Twitter account sends out a thing like, we'll miss your smile or something like that. Like, you just DFA'd the guy. Like, just don't tweet anything. You know, (laughs) come on, he just got replaced by Satsugo, which is something that I said a couple of weeks ago was a real possibility when you started hearing about him. And then Steven Brault's gone, right? He gets DFA'd as well. Which which we predicted on this show as well. Right. So all these things have happened around the Pirates here now in the last couple of days. And what I'm seeing is a team on one hand that looks like they're, they're looking to start to find the pieces, not to compete in 2022, but... Maybe in 2023, they start getting really good. But on the other hand, best estimates when you look at the MLB pipeline list and when you're you're looking at your phenom catcher, your number one guy in your entire system, Henry Davis, he's only an A-ball last year. His ETA is 2024. So unless they think he's going to get here quicker by 2023, I'm confused by the timeline when you let go of Stallings. I mean, are you going to fill the gap with like a journeyman catcher for a year or two? Like, that might be something that they end up doing. Like, ah, we're going to throw this guy in. He's a vet. He'll get in there. He works well with pitchers. He hits about 210. But we're going to get him in there as we start getting good in 2023. But in reality, now the the clock has started waiting for Henry Davis. Now that Stallings has walked out the door. And at that point, in a couple of years, what, Thompson will be about 30 years old, 29, 30 years old. If he if he performs the way that he he looked in his rookie year, he's a solid piece. You're hoping other pieces have shown up. You, you got more guys that are coming here. I mean, I guess I'm trying to figure out the timeline, Craig. Do you feel like with Stallings leaving that there's too much of a gap between now and when Davis gets here, and is it a concern for you? I think for me it's it's more of the concern of now Davis has to hit the ground running, whereas before, I mean, with Stallings, if you had him up, say the the estimate was, was 2024, for Davis to arrive. But a lot of people are thinking maybe 2023 if he has, you know, a pretty good year this year. Well, then you could kind of slide him in to the backup role with Stallings. Because for me, with Stallings, I didn't see the return being that big. I didn't see the contract going that high. I didn't see them moving on from him because they had such long control of him that they wouldn't need to rush Davis. Because believe believe you me, Chris, if Davis hits any sort of road bump, which he already hit and got hurt before like he even got very much playing time for the Greensboro Grasshoppers and then has only shown up like in this build back better camp or whatever they call build better camp or get better at baseball. I don't know exactly what it was called, but it was just this, to me, it's like this marketing joke, but it's really putting a lot of pressure on Davis 
to make this timeline still fit. If you had Stallings, Stallings loved being in Pittsburgh. Stallings, you know, he wasn't just like a great ball player. He was up for, you know, the Roberto Clemente Award. He was just a good person, a good teammate, good with all the pitchers. And I feel like that if he was still healthy, he'd be one of those guys that would still come back if he could on like, you know, a deal for another year because he wanted to like, you know, be successful with this team or be successful with this team um, as they started to open that window. So at this point right now, we don't have a catcher on the 40-man roster. No. The, the closest catcher is Carter Benz, who we got in the Tyler Anderson trade, who I have not been very high on whatsoever because he stunk in double-A. He played really well in the Marlins organization at the beginning of the year when he was in high A, got bumped up right before we picked him up into double A, didn't perform well there, and then came over to Altoona and didn't perform well here. So I would be thinking he's starting in Altoona. You have Michael Perez, who was outrighted. Um, and then we picked up another, you know, kind of journeyman, but it's it's along the same lines of like an Andrew Susak or, you know, of the like that we've been doing to kind of just, you know, fill in the roster at AAA, uh, Jamie Ritchie. I actually had to look up who in the world he even was. Sorry, Jamie, but I did. Because I had absolutely no idea who Jamie Ritchie was. And Chris, the one thing, I mean, we should be happy. We we were actually three for th three for three, except for the Stallings thing. You know, you predicted Yoshi stays, Moran goes. I did. Uh, we we predicted uh, actually the Jared Eikhoff signing, which when people were saying they wanted John Gray a few weeks ago, I'm like, you might be hoping for John Gray, but you're probably going to get Jared Eikhoff. Yeah, you, you nailed that what, one as well. You nailed that <laughs> we one. Get, we, we get Jared Eikhoff, and then we also predict that, that Stephen Brault wouldn't be with the team. Um, right now, DFA'd. Um, and, and we'll go through waivers. A, a trade might come out of that. But we're like up against the, you know, like you were talking about in the beginning, we're, we're up against the, the lockout here. So I don't know how that seven-day waiver period will work in between now and then. So, Chris, I, I'm just all sorts of confused, just like you are, as to, you know, everybody's saying, and technically, you know, calendar-wise, this is year three of the rebuild. If you want to call it two and a half because of whatever, but if you're pushing the timeline back to, let's just say, you know, Henry Davis makes it up here in 2023, well, then he needs to be like the catcher you think he's going to be in 2024 if this timeline is going to stay where we all kind of thought it was, which was, you know, maybe a little bit of an improvement in 2022 a little bit more of an improvement in 2023 to you know maybe to start competing for a wild card spot but you know you might fall off at the end cuz you just don't have it all put together yet and then 2024 like really going for it well now it's 2024 really going for it if Henry Davis completely hits and doesn't have another setback here's the thing i i was looking at the roster after the the move uh, Stallings leaving and and Thompson basically coming to the team. I'm not even looking at the prospects right now that were were gathered in this deal. 
because uh, we all know prospects. You don't know if they're going to be any good. If they're going to be good, they're going to be bad. You have, you have no idea. One list has a guy really high. Another list has a guy lower. Um, you know, prospects are prospects. They're they're a lotto ticket, essentially, trying to figure, unless they're like one of these can't-miss guys. And when I look at this team, and I look at next year, as of right now, if you walk in with this roster, Cabrian Hayes, Brian Reynolds, and eventually at some point, O'Neal Cruz. Those are the three position players that I, I look at them on a piece of paper and I go, I know these guys are part of the core when this team is good, right? I know they're good. Like, does Anthony Alford work out? I don't know. You know, I mean, is Cole Tucker going to all of a sudden figure it out? Probably not. Is Yoshi Satsugo going to be around when the team's actually good? I mean, didn't they just sign him for one year? So, I mean, it's not like they're planning on that. He's more of like a flip, like Quintana, because I don't think Quintana's around in a couple of years. See, but I also look at the pitching staff, and for the first time, I look at the staff, and I think to myself, well, JT Brubaker, Zach Thompson, and Bryce Wilson, three names I'll be paying attention to a lot when this season starts. That that these guys could actually, let's see how they develop. Let's see how they do. Let's see if they're around in a couple of years when the team is good. I didn't have that feeling about anybody starting last year, right? Did you have that feeling no. about anybody anybody in that staff? So, I mean, like, this is how these builds go, right? You 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 rip a team apart. You might have one or two guys that you, you love. Like, I've always loved Brian Reynolds. Even when he was bad last year, if you listen to this program, you heard me telling you, don't worry about this. Shortened season, wife is pregnant, COVID going on, a lot on his mind. Home and road splits were drastically different because of those things. He'll bounce back. And he did. And now we're waiting on the extension, which they better get taken care of. But other than that, if there wasn't anything that really shot out to me as like, this guy's going to be great. Brian Hayes showed up. What a great surprise that he was. Came back down to earth a little bit. Still, I believe, though, a big part of this team here when it gets good. But that's what this is now. You're going into the next year and you're going to start seeing other guys. You know, you're going to have more guys that you go to the ball game and you watch. Instead of just watching one or two guys, you're now going to the ball game. You got three guys in the rotation that you're really paying attention to. Like, how's this guy doing? You got a couple of guys on the field. You're like, how's this guy doing? You got a few guys that if they do well, you might be able to deal that you can bring more talent into your organization. So you're rooting for them as well. And then you've got like in the in the back of your bullpen, David Bednar, who, you know, if he continues to be a good pitcher, maybe he's still around closing games. And he's you don't have to be one of these teams that's running around searching for a closer at the end of your rebuild because you have one. So there are some things that you can enjoy as a Pirates fan here. It stinks moving on from Stallings, but I always saw him as a bridge to Henry Davis. The moment they spent that pick on Davis, if things go well, if things go the way you intend for them to go, that's all he's supposed to be. So it hurts. It does. But on the other hand, you got a pitcher and a couple of prospects for it in a year where you weren't going to do anything, and it might pay off. I, I like Zach Thompson. I really do. I think that Zach Thompson could be at least a three or four on your team when you go out to pitch in the World Series one day. And if he if he takes another step, he could be one of those guys at the high end part of your rotation. You never know. So I, I, I don't have a problem with it once you take out of it, well, it's Stallings, man. I love him, right? Once you take that out of it, I see I see the method to the madness. So it's like kind of like we said before, Chris, that the in this rebuild, the hitting is ahead of the pitching. The pitching prospects that you're looking for, you know, aside from you, know, Rowenzi Contreras, Miguel Yahure, um, all sit down probably in this year, starting out maybe in double A, some of them in high A. 
So when you go out and you get, you know, Bryce Wilson at the trade deadline last year, uh, you get Zach Thompson here. You're hoping for you know, a JT Brubaker that it wasn't, you know, anything mechanically. It was just that he his his arm got tired because he hadn't pitched that much. That you're trying to like bridge the gap in that way, and looking at it and saying, you know, we really don't care who that catcher is until that point. And, and if we could bring in a guy like a Thompson, then then we can move on from Stallings. But, I mean, he's going to have to to bridge that gap, I'm thinking, for, you know, at least this year and next year. Because even if Henry Davis arrives in 2023, I don't look for him, you know, to not need at least some sort of mentoring uh, to get himself in that position. I mean, the look at the... Look at the uh, the Giants, they had Buster Posey, and and then they go out and get like a Joey Bart, where they're looking for you know this guy who's going to step in, and maybe Buster can you know kind of bring him along a little bit, and he's pretty good catching prospect, and he's struggling. So guys are going to have their bumps and bruises. Not too many guys hit the ground running in Major League Baseball, but other teams do it. I, I look at it all the time of teams that are even successful, like the the Nationals when they won. Uh, their World Series. The Braves are really good at that type of stuff where they just kind of bring in, you know, these veteran catchers who may not be like the, I guess, the sexiest name on the trades or in, you know, in free agency and are able to fill those positions for a couple years. I just, I, like I said, I just, I'm just kind of shocked by this move. You know how much I, I love Stallings. You know how much we pushed for him you know, to be the starter in 2020. When we started this podcast, we talked about him and we said that this guy is a this guy's a good catcher and he should be playing every day. Back when there was still confusion over the, what he was, we made many cases for the fact that he was good. And the Pirates did a good job putting him in that position and then he became an asset and they traded him for pitching. And I think it shows that that's, that's clearly a concern. Pitching is a concern right now in this front office. And... They would rather at this time bring in an arm like Thompson and those two prospects than risk not having any arms. And and I, I you know, I mean, pitching is so look at the free agency. Look at free agency right now and the premium being paid for pitching. Okay. You you cannot go out in the free agency and build your staff. You may be able to add one guy, especially if you're the pirates. Pirates don't will not have the pockets, will not have the money to add more than one guy. Even when they're ready, do you think Bob Nutting's going out and giving out, you know, a, a $30 million per year uh, annual average value contract to somebody? You think he's signing somebody for six years and $250 million or something crazy? Like, he ain't doing that. So, like, they have to build their pitching staff, and they don't have a pitching staff. So, I, I get their move. I understand it. It, it hurts. I, under, I understand why it hurts. But overall, I think it's a good deal. And who knows? Maybe, maybe... uh Maybe Henry Davis is going to be just like Joe Maurer. Joe Maurer got to the majors right away. You know what he did in his first year, Craig? He had 308 and had an OPS of 939. Right right out the gate. So maybe he's Joe Maurer. You know? I don't think he is, but he could be. <laughs> he could be <laughs> Joe Maurer. You, you, you never know. But here's the thing. is we Joe Maurer was drafted right up at the top of the draft, too. Maybe he's Joe Maurer. I don't know. He could also be many of the other catchers that were drafted with the first five picks or so in a draft and did not turn out. And the, the list is long and distinguished. So, uh, it, you know, you still don't know with this kid. You never know what catchers, especially with their knees and injuries.
But I, again, I, here's what I think. I don't think that it goes straight from here to Davis. I think when the team starts to get good, there's a veteran catcher that they go out and they sign. I think you have to at this point. The idea, though, that it was going to be Stallings all the way to Davis, that's over. Now there'll be something else that will happen when the team is good. They'll have to go out on the market and they'll have to pick up somebody who's just a professional catcher. And I think they'll do that. There'll be a point where they'll have to do it and they'll do that. Yeah, and I don't think they're they're not like super worried about that right now. Tell me, tell me a little bit about these prospects, though, because I can't find them anywhere. Like you were like, oh, they're top 30 prospects in the Marlins. I can't find that. Where are you getting it's that from? It's an MLB pipeline. Uh, yeah, really? Kyle Nicholas is is number uh, he's number 16 uh, pitcher. And then Connor Scott, who in, is... On the Marlins? Yeah. On the Miami Marlins? Yeah. All right, so they've already taken it. I think what's going on here is as we're recording, he's been they've been removed from the Marlins list because I'm looking at yeah, it Yeah, right I had pulled it up earlier, so it's probably not been refreshed yet right. like on my... All right, and the problem is they don't show up on the on the Pirates list, so I don't know if they will show up on the Pirates list or the Pirates system was so much better that they don't get in there above Eddie Yeen. Um, I, th- I I think that uh, I think that Nicholas definitely would slot in there pretty well. He's he's got a fairly okay. he's got a fairly electric arm, uh, performed well uh, in in Double A. He had just been you know selected. In 2020, competitive balance round B, number 61 overall, has a has a huge fastball, uh, sits in like the you know mid 90s throughout the entire game. It's you know reached 100 miles per hour if he would you know happen to be in like an opener or or a bullpen role. So I see a lot of people projecting right now that he kind of slots in as a, a possible you know back of the rotation starter or or a bullpen arm. Uh, so essentially what you did is you went out and you got yourself a starter that had a very nice rookie season, even though he had to finish in the bullpen, but he did very well in Zach Thompson. And Fangraphs have, has him, uh, Fangraphs, when they list these guys, like the, the best guess as to how the rotation would shake out goes Quintana, Brubaker, and Thompson as the top three in that order. Okay. So, I mean, you got a guy who's going to sit in the middle of your rotation, you're going to give a shot to, and you're going to see what he can do. And then you went out and got a really nice arm that could also be there when it's time. I mean, that's not bad, man. When you move on from a catcher in Stallings, who as much as you love him, you you want Davis to be the guy that takes over in the end. If you believe that, and you were able to pick up two arms when arms are hard to find, I, I you know... It's hard to grade a trade until you see what happens over the next couple of years. But my instinct is good trade. Yeah, like I said, I I wasn't. I think it's almost like the shock of it actually happening, because um, other stuff that happened, like we said, Stephen Brault, you know, he wasn't. He's going to be non-tendered. Well, he was DFA the day before the non-tender. Ben Gamble, who was projected to make you know over two million dollars, ends up making what he signs for one point eight, which is something we said. In the beginning, when we were like having the the little discussions back and forth about the arbitration stuff, it was like Ben Gamble is he really worth that much? Maybe if we could get him for you know a little bit more. Well, he was projected two point nine. I I didn't even know it was that close to three. Thinking back on it, but yeah, I got him for one point eight. So it's like okay, that's a pretty good signing. I uh, the Moran thing. The only thing I would say about the Moran thing is that. I honestly thought they were going to go in with Moran and Yoshi, hoping there was a DH, and and kind of betting that one of them would perform to be able to flip. Well, now Yoshi has to perform 
to be able to flip. And Moran actually, he had two years of, you know, arbitration left. He was terrible. He was a subpar player. I mean, come on, let's be honest about Colin Moran, please. Okay. He's a guy that sits around basically a league average in OPS and he's at first base. And if you, a first baseman should be better than that. A third baseman should be better than that. For what he brings skill set wise and the position he plays, you want something better than that at either first or third. He's not going to be your third baseman anymore, so he's only going to be your first baseman, and he doesn't bring enough. And a good DH is better than that. So in the end, he's just not good enough for what he does. Like if he was a, a, a like a like a really good defensive shortstop or a second baseman or a guy that like did great pitch framing behind the plate, you could eat what he does offensively. But no, not where he's standing. He was he was not good enough. And and I'll tell you this about like the worry about the DH. I would much rather see Satsugo over at first base and let them trot out an extra set of at bats every game for all these middle infielders that we have. You know, all these different guys. Whether you know when especially when O'Neill Cruz gets here, to make sure that guys that you're still trying to figure out what they are or you want to give them at-bats, give at-bats to the young guys that you still haven't figured out what they are. And so you can also give rest where they're not in the field one day and they can work on something with the hitting coach. I would much rather the DH position be used for that during a rebuild. And then when you eventually get to the point where your team is going for it, you go out into the market and you get yourself a DH. So I, I don't have a problem with that. I think you're, you're looking at it as, I think when you're constructing the roster for the Pirates, you're saying, well, we need to have this because, you know, what if we strike lightning and we win the division? But in a rebuild, you don't need a DH right now. Even if they come through and they say there's going to be a universal DH, which we don't even know if they're going to do. The moment they go and do that, that's just extra at-bats for your young guys. So, no, I wouldn't clog it up with Colin Moran, who now, after I've seen him four seasons in a Pirates uniform, has done nothing to indicate to me that he was ever going to be a part of of the middle of your your order, which is what your first baseman should be. There are too many talented guys that can stand at first base and at least have an OPS over 800, and he can't do it, so he shouldn't be there. I just I, I think it's just more of like another shock type thing to me because if you don't protect, you know, Mason Martin... Because they think he sucks too. This goes back to Charrington not caring about the guys that he didn't bring on the team. Yeah. He came in, he got a short season where he got to evaluate him. Then he got a full season and he got to evaluate him. He's had two years in that front office and he really only got a season and a half or a season and a third to evaluate guys. And he's like, I know what you are. I've seen enough of you and I can make a decision on you. You know, when he came in, the first thing was, well, Charrington's going to come in and undo everything that Huntington did, right? But the thing is, he needed to find out what was going on. He needed to learn. Is this guy smart who works in the front office or is this guy stupid? Do I like this person over here or do I not? Is this player as good as they say he is or does he suck? Like he had to figure all those things out. Now he's figured it out and he's made decisions on guys. He made a decision on Colin Moran. That doesn't surprise me because I have the same view of Colin Moran. And you might not, but I have that view of Colin Moran. Just like I have a view of Jacob Stallings as nice player, good defensive catcher. He's an asset. They wouldn't have traded all they traded for him from Miami to the Pirates if they didn't think he was an asset. But on the other hand, if you believe in Henry Davis enough that you made him your draft choice, and there were a lot of other guys you could have picked at that position, okay, you had your pick of the litter, and this was the guy you wanted, you obviously believe in him enough that you're like, eventually, he is my catcher, and that's why the move was made. Charrington could be wrong. 
Davis could stumble. It could be an absolute disaster. But I understand the reasoning based upon what has happened over the last 18 months with this front office. Now I see the changes in this town. They change, they say one thing, but then the next day. 